folks, we are live once again. We are back. You are listening to Beyond Sight and Sound. I am your host, Josh Kimmel, a.k.a. Treasure Seeker. Comes in many shapes and forms. You just gotta get out there and find it. Sometimes, <clears throat> that means you've gotta be a little more diligent than the next guy. Sometimes, it means you've gotta be a little more versatile. Sometimes that versatility of the hunter really dictates the success of your hunt in any given environment and situation. Uh, which brings to mind uh, tonight's guest. Tonight, I'm actually joined with uh, Mr. Leighton Harrington well-known hunter in the hobby over 40 years in the hobby actually uh i believe 43 and he has done quite well for himself uh, many of you have seen his posts seen his finds and he is very diligent and uh, versatile and has learned over the years the value of being a versatile hunter and we will be covering some topics on the the advantage of being versatile tonight. Also, I am joined with Kenny Moore, Dirt Bandit 33. So we will bring everybody in, see how things are going, and get this rolling. How's it going, guys? Hey, good evening, Josh. How are you? Good evening, Kenny. Not bad. Not bad. Of course, uh... Doing a little better than up there in your area, I guess. It's uh sounds like you're getting quite a bit of snow. Oh yeah, yeah. We've had over seventy inches here in the last two or three weeks. Uh it's been uh been quite the winter for us so far. We're expecting another twelve tomorrow night. And with all that snow, you still manage to find a spot to dig. <laughs> Well, here you go. That's a good way to open the topic. There, being versatile. Uh, you know, if you if you can't uh, if you're landlocked and you and you got that frost down to uh, 30 inches or so, you're certainly not going to dig any coins. That's for sure. So uh, you know, we migrate or I migrate towards the water. Right. Yeah, I know up here in Ohio, I can't get through the ground with anything right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm I, I'm assuming that Kenny still doesn't quite have the frost that we do uh, down there where he's at, but uh, uh, up here, like I said, we've got a good uh, 24, 30 inches of frost, and uh, we just find ourselves getting out in the water, even if it's just wet sand hunting. Uh, you know, when you've got this addiction called metal detecting, uh, and I think I would fall into that category, uh, being 43 right. years in the making. So uh, uh, you always learn new tricks, and you got to get out there wherever you can. Uh, you know, it's not always about finding, but it's always the quest, right? Right. At least you're getting out there, and you're making the attempt to do the best that you can. Exactly. Um, you know, uh, we were briefly <coughs> talking before the show. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, uh, because I'm not alone in this now. you got to realize I'm in a very populated area. Uh, won't surprise me to see 15 or 20 guys uh, spread out over a couple of miles tomorrow uh, because they're landlocked just like I am. So uh, even guys that have land machines will certainly be out there in the water or near the water's edge for sure. 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, after you've been locked up for so long, you're you're looking for any potential possibility to get out and dig. That's for sure. Um, so we'll make the best of it, and uh, maybe we can report up tomorrow on the Facebook page and uh, let you know how we made out. Yeah, hopefully it turns out well. Uh, I guess for those who may not know, uh, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners a rundown. How did Leighton get started in the hobby? What bit the bug for you? Uh, well, my dad and I, my, my uncle, his brother, uh, had a coin, uh, a coin shop, a small one, in a small town. And as you know, venues used to come to town and they'd try to sell their product. And back then it was uh, the, new, the new age metal detecting. And back in 72, uh, you know, everybody wanted to find more coins, and we didn't realize exactly what was in the ground or what it was going to take us over our long period of time. But anyway, the venue came in and uh, sold my, my uncle and my dad uh, a half a dozen metal detectors. And at the end of the year, just like cars, there's leftovers. Well, lo and behold, we got the last two at cost. And in 1972, that's when the bug bit me. So uh, my dad, you know, was, it was, I was 12 years old. I was still riding the bicycle, obviously, and uh, we lived on the beach. And my land hunter uh, metal detector uh, was always, I was always told not to go in the water with it because it didn't have a, a water, waterproof coil. But I was finding uh, a lot of coins up on the dry sand in the beach. We grew up on the beach. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget the uh, first two coins I ran back to my house with, a walking Liberty half dollar and a standing Liberty uh, quarter. Wow, and, what a way to start out. Well, again, you know, you got to remember, back in the <laughs> early 70s, you know, later part of the 60s, this is all virgin territory. Um, I remember actually even being down on the beach in the summertime, taking a stick and just sliding it across the top of the sand in a back-and-forth motion and actually finding coins. So you can imagine uh, what an advantage I had as a child with a metal detector. It was, I mean, scoops weren't even heard of at that point. We were just kicking the sand to the side and thumbing through it with our hands, hoping to find the stuff. Right. Kind of the uh, golden era of detecting. Absolutely. It was not uncommon to come back home with 5 or $10 after a a full day's hunt of silver coins, you know, amongst the clad. Uh, Like I said, early 70s, we still, even though the silver had been recalled and melted, um, it was uh, still prevalent in the ground for us newer guys that uh, were getting into the hobby. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting, too, that you, you said you were always told you don't want to get the coil in the water, don't get the coil wet. So even that early on in detecting, people had thought about the potential of the water hunters. Yeah, um, you know, we couldn't wait to um, wait for, well, I'll tell you what, I learned to read the beach really quick as a youngster. Um, I learned to go in the low spots or washouts after a heavy rain. Uh, If there was a small local storm uh, and we'd get that southwest prevalent wind, uh, I found myself always going to the areas that were cut up. uh, And these were like you say, in your words, uh, gold mines. These were these were places where you couldn't swing the coil in any one direction, left or right, without getting multiple hits. Uh, so you were you didn't move very far. Let's say as much as you would today. It's not uncommon to walk a half a mile or a mile on the local beach 
and dig maybe 20 or 30 holes, whereas, you know, you might dig 20 or 30 holes in a 10 by 10 square back then. That's a good point. Yeah, big difference. Big, big difference. And I and imagine... Lot, and a ahead. lot less trash, believe it or not, too, back then. Really? Yeah, a lot less trash. I mean, we were still finding oh. our occasional beer cans and everything, but you got to remember, back then we were still getting the pull tabs that you pulled completely off. Right, the beaver whereas, tails. The beaver tails, exactly. Uh, whereas now, you know, you've got the ones that you have to rock back and forth, and uh, you know how that story goes. So. Yeah, I don't get that. you you got to <laughs> work to tear them off, but yeah. you find them all over the place. People are all the time throwing them out. Yeah, it's it's a sad situation with the... With the pollution, but, you know, it is what it is, and uh, um, I do my part. I, I can't tell you how many I've had to dig to get one ring only, but uh, right. I'd, rather not, I'd rather not even say how many. I even had a conversation with a gentleman earlier this morning. He was talking about a spot that he's been told that, or at least assumes, that there shouldn't be really any pool tabs or any trash because they were always meticulous about the groundskeeping. And I told him, I said, well, you know, the funny thing about the pool tab, I said, once one gets in there and, and it gets into the ground, there's this strange phenomenon that happens <laughs> where they start to breed like bunnies. <laughs> That's funny because I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> they spawn. Exactly. You may think there's none there, but you'll find them. That's the way it goes, though. But that's, I guess, maybe back in, like, 72, the early mid-70s and stuff, maybe people were still a little more, uh, I don't know, environmentally minded in a sense, where they didn't litter as much or something. Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I... We did find our share, don't get me wrong. I don't want to perceive that there wasn't a whole lot of trash. There was certainly a lot of trash. Oh, but yeah. It just doesn't seem, to me, maybe maybe because as I got older, <clears throat> I was a little more aware of our environment. And, you know, today everything is being recycled and, and, and right down to the lead. I mean, even the lead we pull out of the water, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I think we're, I think overall we're helping and, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing to pull lead out of water. I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, especially in fresh water. I mean, even some of our reservoirs, you know, you're not supposed to fish in our state uh, in a reservoir, but uh, uh, you, you certainly can find some lead. Oh, yeah. Well, from, from where I'm from, pulling lead out of the water is a good thing because it usually mm -hmm. has three rings around it. <laughs> good point. I like it. <laughs> good point. I always seem to be plagued with that issue of, because I lived near a uh, a lake, reservoir, whatever. The, the name has changed over the years. They did call it a reservoir, then they called it a lake. and Really, it's a big mud puddle. But uh, I run across fishing weights that you really wouldn't expect to find. We're talking ounce, ounce and a half, two ounce weights. Yeah, that's pretty big for a freshwater lake, I would have to admit. I mean, we've upped, there's one particular lake uh, we've been uh, hunting here uh, in the last couple, four years or so. Uh, we've been doing very well with the old gold. Come to find out there was an old raft. Uh, once I did the, uh, 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 the overlay, as we were talking about earlier, with the map system, uh, we found a, an old map, an old area that had uh, 
the um, the raft, and we were out there, and I can't tell you, they, there was like six and eight ounce sinkers out there. Good Are you kidding grief. me? What are these well, I'll tell you using? guys, I, I fish, I'm a fisherman, and a lot of these lakes, especially if they've got striper in them, um, or if they're trolling for anything, a lot of times they'll use those heavier weights to counterbalance what what they're pulling, and um, that that's why you get those big weights like that. It's crazy. I guess to get down a little deeper, I would imagine, right? Well, right. they try. What they try to do is they try to find. Uh, there, there's. Uh, I can think now, but there's there's a part of the water about halfway up that's got a warm spot in it, and that's where Thermal they try. Line. That's where, the, yeah, the thermocline. That's where a lot of the fish are hanging. That's what they try to reach. Right. Yeah. Huh. I know. It just it does surprise me to see the different objects too that you pull out. I mean, I've gotten everything from you know. Uh, fishing reels to rods, old fly rods broken in half. Uh, you know, you pick up the ferals that are out in the water. Uh, you name it, it's out there. Oh, I was fishing Stop for flathead up in Kansas City at a lake called Smithville about yeah. two years ago, hung into something that was big, finally got it out, and it was a Safeway grocery shopping cart. So, I mean, <laughs> it's out there in the middle of the lake, and I'm thinking, okay, somebody better look for Granny because <laughs> yeah. uh, that, that's a long I mean, they had to throw it off a boat. It's the only way it could have got there. I can just see that, man. I got a whopper here. Yeah, yeah. Or how about maybe, <laughs> does that does that lake ever ice up and maybe they push it out there and then it sank? No, that's that a That particular lake, no. It, oh. it, it, it's, it just doesn't ice up thick enough to do that. Yeah, so definitely out on a boat somehow. What are yes. people thinking? <laughs> now, I, I got a question know. for you. You got to wonder. I got a question for you. You were talking about wet sand. Yes, sir. Okay. Go ahead. What's your machine of choice, wet sand versus dry land, and how do you counterbalance the ground balance? Because you, I take it that the wet sand is going to give off a little bit different than your, your regular land. Yeah, that's a good yeah, question. Yeah, it will. Good yeah, question. I, actually, I was going to say, I, I don't know about you, Josh, but um, you know, I, up here in, in – what I consider wet sand is where the high tide would go its uttermost highest from that point and then work its way back down to the, to the mud flats. That's right. what I consider the wet sand. Now, the wet sand I use, my choice, my arsenal is uh, an Excalibur mine lab. Uh, I have the two, and um, I always use it in all metal. So as far as faulting goes, uh, I still have to tweak it a little bit, Kenny. And, you right. know, I can... So, in other words, so that I can still swing it, but still be reasonable where it's not really chattering in my head. So gotcha. that's that's my choice. Uh, dry, uh, I use a MindLab CTX 3030 with a special program that I've made over the past couple of years. And uh, what I mean by special is uh, it really isn't all that special as far as anyone else's program, but what it does have that everyone else doesn't have is three tones. I've got my low tone for my gold, I've got mid-tone for uh, all my clad coins, and my silver or sterling or any kind of silver coins is a very high-pitched tone. So I can cherry-pick, whereas, uh, you know, other guys are just going in there and hoping to, or, or they are actually digging every single tone, versus where I just go in there, if today I know it's a new spot for me, I'll go in there and just do just the high tones today. Right, and you just discriminate the iron. I do not use uh, discriminate in my CTX <laughs> only until I have already 
feel like I've done the area pretty good. I always use it in open array. There you go. Which I is a good that. point. That, yeah. Because if really, when you get out there, especially with a new spot, if you're running discrimination, you're missing targets. You're missing good finds. You are. I, 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 can, I can tell you uh, another little thing I throw in there every now and then. Let's say I've been hunting the same area, but a new area to me, uh, for let's say a week. And I'm starting to kind of run out of targets here and there. That's when I start switching coils. Um, the Coiltech 10x5 uh, that we've talked about in the past right. has been phenomenal. Uh, this is quite the separation, uh, which you might actually find very good on uh, your end over there, Kenny. Um, I'm not sure what you're swinging yet, but I'd like to know. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that Coiltech coil, that elliptical coil has been um, incredible, uh, especially in the springtime. Uh, when you have a lot of targets in an area that um, you feel as if you've done over many years, over and over and over, um, and there's a lot of targets that are close together, junk included. Um, right, right. You know, yeah, well, you I, know, I here, like getting in there in interesting areas when, like that. When you're going through, let's say you're here, and you're, let's say you're in a camp, for example, sure. yep. and let's say... Uh, um, of course, my favorite camps is camps that everybody said it's all been hunted out. I mean, right. that's my favorite camps to go. And, and w when you go to those camps, in that scenario, it's more about frequency. Because I want to go, because, you know, anything that's usually three or four inches deep has probably been picked. Well, you know, if you're running 17, you want to drop to maybe 11. And then you may even want to drop to four. If you have that availability, is exactly why I'm using the XP Deus now, opposing to what I was using, which was the Garrett AT Pro and Gold, which I still use. Right, still which love is not machines. to say they're bad machines. No, you they're still not, use but, them. But let, let me tell you something. Any time that you can get into a, a scenario like that and change your frequency on the fly, uh, that it's just... I mean, you cannot beat that. That's an arsenal you must have if you're in a place that's been hunted. You need to go a little deeper. For example, I was at Shiloh the other day. <laughs> and just to test this machine out, I, we pulled a bullet. This bullet was 14 inches. Mm -hmm. That's an 11-inch coil, and I am maxed out on 800 on the tone. Okay? However, my silence was on one. When I went to zero, I swung back over it, and it was like that item went at about two inches deep. Yep. If you haven't tried right. a Deus, you should try. I'm not trying to sell a Deus. I'm just saying. But, <laughs> I mean, I was unbelievably impressed with that machine. Yeah. And to be honest with you, at that depth, when you're in a place like that, because, you know, you got deep row plowed here. you got these fields that's been plowed for years and stuff churned, stuff that's two or three deep. you got fire pits. That you, you can, we were pulling bullets out three foot deep. Well, you, none of your machines are going to grab that. Right. You know, with the exception of maybe, you know, 4,500 or 5,000 GPX may, you know, get close to that. But there's even some of that, that that's not going to happen. Right. right. But changing frequencies on the fly is the way to go here. <coughs> well, yeah, absolutely. Well, and sensitivity too, I might add. I mean, you know, we, uh, we've, I've got a perfect scenario. Uh, three weeks ago, we had a small cut, wasn't very big. Uh, four guys had gone down on the beach, 
They've been pounding it for about six or seven days. Uh, I heard about it a little on the late side because I'm about an hour away. Went up there uh, and pulled out right in back of two other gentlemen that had been working that small cut. I got two gold rings and a gold chain. And that was only by actually using my sensitivity, which I normally use at around 14 or 15 on my CTX, I boosted it to 27. I could still swing. I wasn't, it wasn't so bad where I couldn't hear, but it was enough to uh, make me slow down and, and really pay attention. And again, these things are, like he just said, 14 inches deep. Yeah, now that's interesting. Have you noticed uh, with you running your sensitivity normally around 14, 15, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then boosting it up a little bit like that, did you notice, say, a dramatic increase in depth or just a little bit of an increase? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, I'd say I'd say maybe a couple inches, not a whole lot. You know, um, here's, here's my rule of thumb. If I'm not finding anything, I always try to do a couple things. One, put myself in a spot that I'm going to find something. And two, right. if my machine isn't working the way I feel it should be working and I'm just swinging for nothing, I make it work for me. So that's where your versatility has to come in. You've got to really stop playing with some of these buttons. Um, I'm not saying go crazy and, and you know, get it so far out of your norm that you're not used to or, or, or it's not working so that you get frustrated with it. But just do it one notch at a time. Right. Um, you know, I have two mud back bay areas that I use uh, this time of year. And I'll tell you what, both of them are different. One has more sediment uh, because there's not so much tidal flow in there. So over the last 200 years, all the oil, the grime, the grease, the, the, the muck, uh, everything that, that's in there at that particular spot, um, it only allows me to go up to 16. Otherwise, it goes so crazy that I can't even swing the machine. But right. yet, up in the ocean, I can go, you know, uh, a little higher. I see you got a caller. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, go ahead, caller. Come on, mention a dais. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we heard a little bit about one. Um, uh, great show, Layton, by the way. You're an awesome guest. Um, and, uh, Mr. Josh, uh, you. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a white user. I'm a white believer. Uh, I used the, um, the dais one time and, uh, got mine in today after okay. using one. And so, the first time out with that, you made a nice coin find. Uh, eighteen fifty, I mean eighteen fifty-two half dime. But you know, we just we just found out the find of the day. We didn't know what it was. We just found hmm. out uh, John with his dais found a mold to uh, 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 well, hang on, the word and off my head. A mold to counterfeit half reals. Oh, nice. Wow. <laughs> I'll tell you what, he's been on fire with that thing lately, hitting that uh, Marshall shell and now that uh, counterfeit piece. You know, and, 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 you know, seeing as believing, I mean, I told John today it was tough for me to open up a box that says Made in France on it. Yep. Because I'm I'm a I'm a big United, United States fan. I love the United States. I stand behind them. And, but... I mean, it, it honestly, I think, is the best machine made. And I'm not down in anything else because 
I could go in a I can go in an area and wipe it out so there's nothing left and Layton could come up behind me and, and still find stuff. So nothing's ever hunted out. I mean, all the machines are are you know, uh made for a reason because you have different people with different tastes. Right. Um and they just the one have thing to find what works for them. Yeah, and the one thing the CTX thirty thirty does that the DAIS doesn't do um, is the DAIS you have to choose what frequency you run, and if I'm not mistaken, doesn't the CTX run in a bunch of different frequencies at one time? Yes, sir. So it is a multi-frequency machine. Right. So that's that's where the CTX is. Uh, the technology is a little better than the than the DAIS because of that. Um, you know, because just like Layton was saying, you know, you can go into a little area, and if somebody comes in with a one frequency machine. They might think they've hunted it out, but it's not true. You can go over there with that multi-frequency machine and start finding stuff, and you just slow down a little bit. You know, people up there swinging like they're swinging a golf club or a baseball bat and wonder why they're not finding anything. Right. right. I can, oh, uh, by the way, if I could just throw my two cents in there, um, I like people like that. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> oh, yeah. they're missing that stuff. <laughs> I'm just saying, buddy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, I agree, and and you know when you tell people, hey, you need to slow, slow down a little bit. Yeah. Um, a lot of them get offended. You know, hey, I've I've been swinging this machine for 15 years. I you know I'm, you know, and but then you hear a lot. You know, I, I take my machine, send it to the shop, and uh, I bought my friend's machine, and now I found all kinds of stuff in my front yard I didn't find before. He said, and they think it's just the machine. Well. It's a lot of things. You slow your swing down a little bit. You might speed it up a little bit. You know, some machines work better at a fast uh, speed. My yeah. labs work better at a little slower speed. Um, but, <laughs> you know, that's the reason why so many de detectors are made, just like golf clubs. Uh, you've got to make a bunch of different golf clubs because you can't just use one. That's right. Low and slow, uh, buddy. And, Low and slow. Yeah, and the DAS, you can change the frequency, so that helps. The CTA 33 runs almost our frequency, which you don't have to change. Right. Um, but, you know, and, and that's the technology nowadays, uh, the up, you know, the upgrades. Uh, you know, the if somebody says, hey, I, I want the screen to look like this, mine and I could do it if they want to. They just do a firmware update, you download it on your computer, and you're done. That's true. You don't and, have to send it back to the factory for an upgrade. Right. And if, and if, and if people, if these other play, people, <coughs> excuse me, if these other companies don't catch up and get with the times, they're gonna, you know, they're just, you know, I've got a top five. I've always said it, and I never put XP Dais in it because I've never used one. So I couldn't put them in the top five of who I think was the best manufacturer because I never used one. I've used my lab and <coughs> Fisher, Garrett, Weiss, and uh, but you know, uh, between my lab and XP, they're number one, number two. Whether XP is number one and my lab number two, or vice versa, doesn't matter. They're still number one and number two because of the technology. Right. For many hunters, they are considered one of the top machines. Well, I'll tell you, I was a whites guy for 35 years, uh, much like yourself. There are uh, years and years of, of technology. They've come a long way. I uh, went all the way up uh, from the XLT all the way to the, uh, the V3, and uh, I, I had a chance, or the, uh, uh, I had a friend who had the CTX, and um, from one day of use, uh, I must say I was a believer. So uh, I will tell you what I have in my arsenal today. I have two machines. They're both mine labs. One's the XCAL, which the processor isn't quite as fast as the CTX, but uh, um, both great machines for what they are made for. 
So again, it's as good as the user. Every machine has its own little thing. Um, and, uh, you know, it's only as good as the user, right? That's right. All right. Now, the XCAL is a water machine, right? Yes, yes, sir, it is. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, it's, it's probably one of the better water machines that's, uh, that's probably ever been made. I think so. Um, you know, there are a lot of them. Uh, Garrett makes a great Infinium that's a, a fantastic machine. Uh, in fact, they've just come out with another one that's also used in the water. Yeah, the uh, ATX. That's right. It's a great machine. I've heard all great reviews. Have I used either one of the Garretts? Well, you know, I'm an old believer, as uh, I'm sure a lot of you guys are out there and gals that are swinging nowadays. If it's not broken, don't fix it. That's I'm doing right. okay. Exactly. You know, so uh, I feel like I really know both of my machines. I only have two left. Those are the two I have. Um, and by choice. I have uh, since, uh, you know, sold off all my other stuff, and uh, uh, as I get older, less is best. That's right. Absolutely. All right, well, I'm going to get off here. Josh, great show, uh, late and great guest, and I'm going to get Thank off you. here and, uh, and, and listen to y'all talk some more. All Thanks right. For Thanks call. for your call, Kevin. All right, bye. And that's <clears throat> back to the versatility bit. That is one advantage is that uh, for those of us who have had some time in the hobby, uh, a lot of times it does seem like we possess more gear than somebody just coming into the hobby, or whether that's different diggers, different scoops, various machines, because of the fact that you do have to... Uh, in order to be versatile like this, it may require that you use a different machine or a different frequency, a different program, a uh, an aftermarket coil. Any well, of that helps bring those finds out and turns these worked over spots into new areas again. Absolutely. I just put a video out where I put a 17 by 15 double D nail made for the AT Pro. I uh, went to that area that's been hammered for, I don't know, 20 years. I was pulling Maynard bullets out at 14 inches deep. Um, it was just ridiculous. So, right. you know, you got to adapt to, to wherever you're hunting. And don't be afraid to try new things, but right. don't get away from what you're used to either. Right. So, but right. don't be afraid to step out of the box because... Uh, that, that's, we all learn. I learn something every day. Uh, matter Absolutely. of fact, there's, there's stuff that I read and listen to and watch other people's videos and I do the best that I can and it doesn't help being in a, in a great place to hunt as well. But you got, you got to, you got to be sure and use everything that's there for you. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, the availabilities of all different things that are, uh, are at your fingertips nowadays is, um, it's just remarkable, and you know as well as I do, you can punch anything into Google and find something out about it. If you didn't know about it, you'll definitely learn real quick. Oh, yeah, it's very nice uh, for for helping to identify those certain finds that we're unsure of. Right. Well, you know, his, his yeah, absolutely, yeah. All you got to do is just read a little bit of the word uh, if you can get that much off of a coin. I've done it many times myself. Right. You find 1700s coins with just a few... Uh, letters that are visible are, are legible, and, you know, if you can get somewhat of a date, or if not even no date, punch that into Google and hit, uh, you know, um, uh, photos, and you're going to have an array of coins that are exactly what you are you have in your hands. 
Right. And, Next and thing you know, you're going, oh, so that's oh what God. it is. Yeah, I had this happen to me just a few weeks ago. I had a 1724 Portuguese coin, had no idea what it was, never saw one in my life, and here I've got one in my hands, and I could only read a few letters on the back, and sure enough, that's exactly what it was. It was a Portuguese coin. So, um, you know, uh, these are things that uh, are readily available to us as the consumers. It's, it's a great thing to do. And if I could just throw out that uh, thing that we were talking about a little bit earlier, too. Uh, oh, yeah, I absolutely. That. I use a site, for those of you who don't know, um, I use a site. It's called CardCow. Um, it's a great little site. And uh, what I use it for is, uh, in my area of New England, it's rich, rich with history. All the way back, and even before, uh, you know, the Pilgrims. Uh, we're not too far away from the Pilgrim Rock. Uh, 1600s, Cape Cod, Sandwich area was established in 1630s. Uh, I mean, we have some serious history here. Uh, and, and no I'll doubt. I mean, it's just crazy. And if you do your homework, you too, if you come to this area, will find, with permission, uh, some areas that are virgin. And uh, I use Card Cow to um, to put myself, like I said a little earlier, in the right spots at the right time. Now, it doesn't mean I'm going to be out there in the winter at the time trying to do a field. Uh, you got to use a little bit of. Uh, common sense there and uh, you know I used a card cow basically what it does is it gives me areas to see what used to be there not what isn't there now right, so right. when you punch in a place like Plymouth Rock I can see where the original rock was it has nowhere right. even close to Plymouth it was originally in Provincetown so which is 70 miles away um, so these are things that you learn it's a great little historical uh, piece of uh, info, and it's good for finding like local parks, uh, schoolyards, uh, some of your old stone schoolhouses that were built early 1700s. Those are the places that you want to see what it looked like before you even get there. Do your homework. Right, or for I'll, those that are in the areas where the history may not go that far back, they could use it for the old swimming holes, picnic Absolutely. Groves. It is, uh, it, you know what, it's, as, it's only as limited as your imagination. That's all I can tell you. Exactly. And, you know, that's, that's what's so cool about this hobby and, and where we live is, and of course, England, that's a whole other story. But, oh, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, it's like I, I have people sending me messages going, man, I would, I've got some right here I could read, but I'm not. I mean, I'm just saying they'll say, I would give anything, man, to be able to find a Civil War bullet. And that's cool. But I would, man, to stand on Plymouth Rock or wherever <laughs> it is and find yeah. a 1600 coin or find a Cologne coin, I've never yeah. done that. So it it's like. I've, I've not been able to go and find stuff like that, even though I'm down here finding Civil War history and maybe some Spanish-American War and, you know, different stuff like that. There's a lot of history down here in the South. Sure. But but it's different. I mean, it it's, is. it's a different different time, different environment, different history. Right, a different type ground. of history. Yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for us, Kenny, to uh, go out in a cornfield or... Uh, as you put it, you would find three ringers and mini balls down there. Uh, up here, we find uh, a lot of colonial coppers. I mean, a lot. Forty-four uh, forty. You're on the air. Hey, how are you tonight? All right. Who do we have? 
We got Steve Zazulik from Canada. Well, Steve, how's it going, buddy? I'm good. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Good to hear from you. Yeah, just listening to you guys up here. I would like to say we got more snow than Leighton, but I don't think we do. <laughs> you know you don't, wow. buddy. Hey, how you doing, Steve? <laughs> if anybody I'm can give you competition, though, I'm sure Steve's country can. <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. You know, you guys this. gotta, you guys gotta ask Leighton about the different places that he's detected, <laughs> other than the water, too, because I've been with him. I've been fortunate enough to be with him to be in some pretty incredible spots like and Leighton and I have gone through the woods and uh, uh, we've uh, had a chance to go into native caves uh, he's oh, got wow. stories you got to ask him about you got to ask him about the monkey tree story that's another <laughs> one he's got some incredible stories that you got to get him on tonight now that sounds like an interesting story we'll have to get into that <laughs> thanks Steve <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it as good as the uh, historian, but uh, yeah, that's that's quite a story. <laughs> right, and and Steve has done quite well for himself with finds over the years. Oh, are you kidding I me? Have, I have. I, I go ahead, Leighton. I was just going to say I would like to have found just half as much as what you got, buddy. You've got some incredible finds over your life, and yes, I know it's only has. in a short period of time, but honestly. Uh, you know, uh, you, uh, you've done very well for yourself, buddy. Well, and he's very diligent, and, and that shows something, you know, those, it, it translates to time and effort in the field. You're not just going to go out there and, well, not normally anyway, go out there and in the first 10 minutes pop that great find. You've got to put in your time, and people see, oh, wow, look at all the things that this guy's finding. Well, sometimes you've got to stop and think, too. Look at the time that he puts in. Right. Exactly. I know. Yeah, I to know my wife's that. dismay. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody always asks me, they'll say, uh, you know, like, I haven't, detected anywhere near as long as uh, you guys have, or especially Leighton. But um, in my first year of detecting, I, uh, I logged over 600 hours of detecting. So I was out there, I was out there, you know, 10, there was days where I was coming home at like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. I got the bug real bad. And the biggest problem is, is I had some really good sites to go to. So, right. uh, yeah, that was a bit of a problem. That's called beating the bush. <laughs> yeah, a little bit, a little bit much. But uh, like I say, um, you know, I've uh, I've had the opportunity to go out there and, and hunt with Leighton, and um, I mean, it. Leighton has a security box that's probably the size of a cargo container, and it is full, full of the rings that he's. I, I'm a ring. I love finding rings. I don't know about you guys, but I love finding gold rings. It's just, it's a weird thing, but I like finding gold rings. And yeah, nothing Layton wrong with that. Been, <laughs> and Leighton, I don't think there's anyone out there that I know um, who's honest about it that has that has found as many rings as Leighton. Oh, I know. He seems like a ring magnet. Well, yeah, he's either I, I, he's I, either finding them or stealing them. <laughs> Yeah, from the, from the next detectorist, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. 
<laughs> I owe you, buddy. <laughs> no, but hey, in I all seriousness... I appreciate all, he, uh, of all the compliments, for sure. Yeah, in all seriousness, the guy has the guy has definitely put in his time detecting. Oh yeah, pay, no doubt. Paying the that. dues, man. Paying the dues. That's, That's it. right. It's it's kind of like uh, you know college in a sense. Those of us that have had the years in the hobby and stay persistent about it, it's it's like you said, Kenny. We're just paying our dues. It's like the uh, the tuition of the hobby. Right. You've right. got to put you your know time what? in. Just when you think you found, just when you think you found, like, uh, you know, wow, how am I going to top this? Then, uh, well, just keep swinging and you will. That's right. Eventually, you're going to put it over something that's worthwhile, that's for sure. Absolutely. I know. I think I even yeah. put you over a good one, didn't I, Steve? Did you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to remember. Just, just say yes. <laughs> I was going to say, it sounds like there's a story there, too. Well, let's put yeah, it no, real, uh, quickly, real quickly, Steve. Remember, we I took you to the back bay. Uh, over I, I know exactly what you're cave. talking about. Okay, yeah. So yeah. He did get keep his going, gold ring going. that day. Yeah, he got his gold ring that day, right after I got an 8 real and a, uh, I think I got a gold ring, too, just before you. But yeah, you did get that, one. Was, was, that so was a good happy. spot. That was a good spot. And Sounds like video, it was a good day. Uh, you know what I'll do is I'll uh, I'll post that video on YouTube tonight and try to put a awesome. link to you guys so you can actually see us doing that. Because what yeah. happens is uh, Layton's down there with with uh, one of his buddies, and these guys decide to start pulling out their D rings. So for <laughs> those people out there that don't know what a D ring is, I didn't know what a D ring is because I didn't have enough to put on one. But a, a D ring is like a car carabiner that the guys carry, and it has. I don't, how many rings are, was on that D ring that you guys brought out? Uh, I well, I think John brought his. I didn't bring mine that day, but I think he had about twenty or so on it, just to show you oh, he, what we do. You know, like grief. Yeah, like big. I'm talking like big golf ball size rings. It was just yeah, disgusting. Yeah. So it your D disgusting. ring is basically a holster for your fines. That's right, correct. exactly. You know, yeah. I carry one nice. with me a lot of times too. If I find a ring, I'll pop it on there. That way, right. it's not in the pouch or anything like that. Or so that we don't lose it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the biggest fear, isn't it? Is when you find a good ring and you know you want to keep hunting. Is what do you do with that ring? Exactly. Right. And yeah, I actually you know, uh, last year we we. Uh, we premiered the uh, new and unheard of style of metal detecting known as catch and release. Catch and release. I had wound up, uh, a buddy of mine had found three silver dimes and lost two of them in a group of kids. We went over to try Ooh. to find them and I popped a ring and wound up losing it about 15 minutes later. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Well, it, and it was just cheap bling, mm -hmm. but... Uh, it, it's still a nice chunk of a ring. It it made some newcomer to the hobby very thrilled to find it. I'm sure. Right. Well, you know, well, this a friend of mine. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead, Layton. No, no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You're the guest. Go ahead. A friend of mine was uh, detecting in the water, and um, he was on a really good beach, and um, he got four gold rings uh, in the morning, uh, really nice ones, and he put them in his uh, his side bag, and I think he even got a couple silvers that day it's like six rings put them in the bag and then at the end of the day when he walked out reached down by his side and the bag was gone oh man oh. so 
I've been looking for that bag ever since. I'm right. sick just to hear it. Yeah. Wow. That kind of probably is probably on Layton's table right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. In in the uh, coffee Shh. table display case. There you go, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the reason now, for the carabiner, though, is is, and I'll tell you, I also fastened that to my pouch inside, and I'll drop it down on a lanyard, so that way it's not going anywhere once I've clipped it. So. Um, for the people that uh, are, are thinking about doing something like this, by all means, these are all true stories, and it does happen. And, yes, I have lost a ring or two over the 40 years. Uh, fortunately, uh, I don't swing very fast, and where I did lose them wasn't very deep, so I was able to relocate them. Uh, so almost like you said, a catch, release, and a catch. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I guess it does happen to all of us from time to time. Oh, yeah. And, uh like I said, with mine, it was cheap bling, so I wasn't really all that concerned about it. It's like, eh, well, you know, we'll leave well, it for I'll the next Well, i tell you guy. what happened to me, and I don't like telling it, but since everybody, it happen, it does happen to everybody. And the first rule of thumb anymore, never put nothing on your bumper, on your bag <laughs> bumper. Just don't oh, yeah. do it at all because it's not fun, you know, trying to re-detect 20 miles uh, trying to find something. Um, I had a cavalry button that I had pulled out of Eastport, mm. Mississippi. And <laughs> stupid me, set it on the bumper. I loaded all my gear and stuff. And I didn't even realize it till I got, uh, you know, got home. And I'm like, well, where is that button at? And then, I, you know, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. So I drove all the way back out there. Of course, nothing, nothing, nothing. Lo and behold, a year later, I found that button. Oh, wow. I did. I found it. It fell off about 100 yards right out of the entrance of where I was going is where I found that button. Wow. Just, Looks just like the minute. house is filling up, guys. We're joined yeah. by Denny Morrison and Chris Engel. Hello, Brother Josh. Hello, Chris. How's Chris? it going? All right. Hi, Great Josh. show tonight, uh, guys. Layton, awesome guest. Thank yes, you you're, you're on with uh, myself, Leighton Harrington, Steve Zizulik, and uh, Kenny Moore. Hello, brother Kenny. Hey, brother. How you doing? Oh, man. I hadn't had a chance to put my dance together yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's that telling you? <laughs> mm -hmm. Busy, busy. Oh, I know. No, it's a great show tonight. I enjoyed listening to it. and. Uh, Thank you. Layton, awesome. Man, I would love to come up there. I bet it's awesome to hunt up there. But what you were saying, and even Kenny made the comment, yeah. you know, different parts of the country. Texas is where I'm from. Yes, we, sir. You know, we're, we're quote, unquote, we're the newcomers on the block in the United States, basically. We just, we don't, you know, we've got all this history here, but not as far as the old, old colonial coins or like where Kenny and them are, the Civil War stuff. Right. We had, you know, very little Civil War action here at all. I mean, we have think, three, three battles here in Texas, and that's all we had. Yep. But still, well, you've I, got I, history you, in its yeah, own. You, I was going to say, you must have some, some spots where otherwise you wouldn't be into the metal detecting where you felt as if uh, these three battles were of importance. And I'll tell you, I know a couple of guys from Texas, and, uh, boy, they've got some fantastic buttons. Oh, yeah. There is, uh, we've, um, there's a couple of, uh, that were actually, we had several, uh, prisoner of war camps here. Yeah. And just north of Houston. 
Uh, a lot of them are off limits. Uh, some of the private farms next to it, you can get to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just got to really do your history because they marched a lot of the Union prisoners that they captured in Galveston, marched them from Galveston up to the town, little town of Hempstead, Texas, just north of Houston. And if you can find that route, and there's several guys that have and pulled several good bullets out of there, and bullets and buttons too. Yes, sir. And like Kenny has mentioned earlier, if you find that encampment area, oh man, oh yeah, you are gonna be. You're going to be swinging like an ape, looking for that less banana. Oh, you bet. You bet. Well, guys, like I say, it's a great show. Just want to call thank in you. and thank everybody. And great show, Josh. All right. Thanks for the call, Chris. See you later, buddy. Take care. Bye. Hey, Miss? guys, I think I'm going to go, too, because I've noticed online that there's people trying to get in. Okay, Steve. Thanks for okay, calling. Okay. Uh, yeah. Before you go, Steve, why don't you uh, throw your YouTube channel out there for the listeners? Okay, so it's just, uh, I believe, let me see here. You know what I'll do is I will post it on your comments. Okay. I'll post the actual uh, spot on YouTube for your comments, and, um, and uh, people can see it, they can watch. Yeah. That is the one with all the gold. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, thanks yeah, for and, the and call. Just one more comment with uh, you guys. You were talking about your fines and where you put your rings and stuff like that and leaving them on the bumpers of your vehicles. And I was going to tell you, the one thing you also don't want to do is leave your fines in your pockets when your wife is washing your clothes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting in my living room and I was hearing all this banging going around in my dryer. And I ran in there and, I, and my War of 1812 breastplate was whipping around in the, oh, man. <laughs> in the dryer. Oh, man. That's not I wouldn't even admit that. One, one find you weren't clean. intending to tumble. <laughs> I bet it was. All right. It was a well, great to, to hear you from you, tonight. Steve. Great show. Um, good to hear Leighton again. And um, God bless you guys, and you have a good evening, okay? You too. Mr. Denny Morrison. Hi, Josh. How goes it, sir? I'm doing pretty good. I got a couple comments. On When you first started the show, you talked about uh, finding lead in uh, lakes. Here in Ohio, we have, uh, especially in Lima, there's a uh, reservoir there. It was built in 1911. And uh, yeah, my buddy and I went there looking for that a, reservoir. a ring for a fella that it came from his grandfather. It came from Belgium someplace. We never did find the ring, but in a week's time, every day, each of us hauled out six pounds of lead sinkers. And uh, we did find two, a couple of three-ringer sinkers in that lake. Wow. So, you know, 330,000 soldiers came from Ohio, and they lived somewhere, and they went fishing somewhere. So they brought that stuff home, and they used it. So that's Absolutely. I wanted to ask Leighton, what kind of a, a scoop do you use in the water? Good question. Yeah, thanks for the question. That's, uh, that's a good question, actually. I, I'll tell you, I've uh, evolved over the past uh, 10 or 15 years. I started out with aluminum uh, scoops because I was doing mostly the, uh, you know, the dry sand. Then I worked my down towards the wet sand, and then I was trying to find more uh, virgin areas, if, if you will. Um, and then it's when I started uh, transforming into a water hunter and then diving. And, of course, that all just kind of went into everything. So to answer your question, I started out with aluminum. Uh, they were 10-inch scoops. 
I have since, in the last five or six years, gone to a stainless steel scoop. Uh, it wood, has a, with a stainless, handle? no sir, okay. a stainless steel handle. Yeah. Everything. It's, yes, it's heavy. Uh, it is but counterbalanced. They are sturdy. They're durable. They are extremely sturdy. Uh, but I will tell you, I've gone through a couple of them too. I've had them welded and rewelded. I've put <laughs> tips on them. Uh, here, uh, it's not your actual. It's 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 not your your average. How can I say average beach? Here, when we get a nor'easter, we get the winds 50, 70, 80 miles an hour. It puts what they call, or what we call, or we come to call, a cut. The yeah. cut will take away, you know, four, five feet of sand at times. And that's when you have everybody and his brother down there digging. Now, what doesn't get blown away are the rocks. And now when I say rocks, I'm talking rocks the size or half the size uh, of a uh, uh, basketball. And so you have to get in and around those and move them. And uh, it certainly will take its toll on those, uh, those, uh, those scoops. Well, that's uh, I usually use where the gold lands even in, yes, when you have water. It goes around wherever the rocks are at. That's where I always hunt at. Yes, sir. But I have a wooden handled shovel that I've had for 20 years, wow. and it's got a stainless steel bottom to it and a kickstand on it. Mm -hmm. And it cost me $125 at the time, and I think they're probably up around 200 now. Yes, sir. And I also I... use a stainless steel uh, hand scoop. Mm -hmm. that, uh, mine is so wore out from digging down in Florida. And they have uh, cuts down there, too when the hurricanes come in and uh, one time I was down there and it was blowing so hard I was staying down there and I said I'm going to the beach and the, the storm had just passed I actually had a handkerchief over my face just so I could breathe right and I didn't even need a metal detector although I had one I had my trusty Tesoro uh, over there uh, that I use and uh, <laughs> there were gold rings laying right on top of the ground everything oh. else had blowed away you could just walk wow. on top of the ground because it was a hard pack and, and just pick up the gold rings. Didn't even need a metal detector. Yeah, well, you know, I always love, uh, I always love the sight, the sight finds, that's for sure. The eyeball finds are yep. more than, uh, more than fun to find, that's for sure. We had quite a few of them a couple of years ago when Sandy went through. Um, I think I had about 12 of them on top that, that particular season. Another question for you. Do you yes, use sir. a wet suit when you, uh, Water hunt. I mean, not I'm not talking diving. I'm just talking about walking in the water. Okay, depending on the on the time of the year. Yes, this time of the year, no, I'm not using a wetsuit any longer. Uh, January, February, no. Uh, but yeah, all the way up into December, I'm using a six millimeter. Uh, yeah. You know, I also it's a good point that you brought up too with the uh, handkerchief to put over your face. Uh, I also have a. Uh, uh, it's almost like a light hoodie that I'll put right. on. That's that's you know maybe three millimeters just to keep that sand from blowing in your face. Right. Um, I look like something from the Black Lagoon when I'm going down, but uh, <laughs> when I come back, you know, I, I'll tell you. I, I, a lot of people say, "How can I do it?" But uh, I don't know about you, but uh, one gold ring in the yep. pouch all of a sudden <laughs> makes forty degree water about seventy. That's yeah, right. Do you Suddenly have a dry you food? forget about the elements. I, I do not. Yeah, you forget about the elements, Josh. No, I don't have a dry suit, uh, but I will tell you here, uh, I use an insulated pair of uh, uh, waders uh, through the end of December all the way through the, the, the uh, uh, right through the spring, 
And um, so that's what I use. And it doesn't hurt to use some kind of, uh, you know, also thermals or something like that underneath. So Another um, quick question. Sure. Uh, have you ever got stung by, uh, oh, what the heck? Jellyfish? Jellyfish, yeah. Uh, I grew up on the beach. Um, to answer your question, yes, many times. Okay. Um, it, it, to me, it's just another another something in my way. Uh, I don't, I, I just kind of don't even worry about it anymore. I don't know if I've come immune to them or what, but now that doesn't mean that I haven't been stung where I'd had to get out of the water, but I always use a long sleeve, uh, even if it's just a, um, a small uh, shorty on top. Right. Uh, or, or a slim shoot, uh, suit that, that we use. Uh, it's very thin, you know, a couple millimeter thick, just right. enough to, to push the stuff out of our way. Now, that doesn't mean that I'll be walking towards them if I see them. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they, um, they do get in the way. They're just, uh, just a pain in the butt for me. How close have you come to a shark? Uh, well, sharks, well, you know, I don't know if you've heard, but recently, uh, we've got a lot of great whites in our area. Yeah. Uh, personally, just a lot of sand sharks. That's all. I've never encountered any other type of sharks. Uh, not yeah. while I've been doing any type of uh, metal detecting. I would, but uh, I will I say, would, stingrays. Yes. Yeah, stingrays are bad too. <laughs> yeah, that's why we do the uh, well, what we call the Cape Cod Shuffle. We don't yep. have stingrays per se here uh, that are dangerous. But you know, when I'm down in Mexico doing the water hunt. Yeah, I'm always doing the uh, the Cape Cod Shuffle. I'll just yeah, because push my feet along. Yeah, babies look out. <laughs> yes, sir. I've hunted with a gentleman a couple years ago. We were down in Cancun, and he got stung right near the groin area. And mm. I will tell Ooh. you, it put uh, a damper on everybody's hunt. Yeah. So right. it's not just, you know, I mean, I mean, let's be honest. We're down there together. I'm not going to continue if he's hurt. So, yeah. Um, it, 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 it did put a, a damper on it for a couple few hours, but, you know, he manned up and uh, he had one leg bigger than the other, but we managed <laughs> to finish out the day, and we did pretty well. Yeah. I can tell you here in Ohio, and that's where Josh and I live, and yep. even in his lake where he lives, uh, in the summertime, I always wear a shorty uh, wetsuit because I'm in the water eight to nine hours, and yep. uh, you get hyperthermia if you don't. That's Even correct. Even though it's warm as it is out, you'd think you wouldn't, but when you're in the water, it Good happens. Point. Good point. I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah, a lot of people think that, you know, you're out there and, you know, it t doesn't take much. Uh, I think, actually, uh, the first signs of hyperthermia are uh, uh, around, what, uh, 92 degrees, your body temperature. Yeah. So it's not that much different than your normal body temperature before you start to shiver. And by that point, it's already actually a little bit too late. So as soon as good your point teeth to bring start up. to chatter, you're in trouble. That's it. Grandma right. Tam on here said that she's worried about the carps. I had, was down at uh, St. Mary's Lake, and the carps <laughs> went right through my legs. Scared the living bejeebies out of me. Oh, yeah, <laughs> we've got them big you. enough down here. You could just about hand them a machine, too. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, car carps aren't going to hurt you. Right. Well, they got to eat, too, you know. That's yeah, right. right. Well, it's just, <laughs> just the idea that they came right in there. Take a bag of marshmallows and just throw them out on the bottom. They'll, That's they'll right. All right. Well, thanks for the call, Denny. All right. Talk to you all later. Good to hear all of you. Hey, right. See you, Denny. And we've uh, we've still got another caller on here, Swansea. Hey, Josh, how you doing, buddy? All right. I got a question for Layton, being that he's up in my neck of the woods. Hey, Layton, this is Brandon. I'm from uh, southwestern New Hampshire. Okay, go ahead, buddy. 
I do a lot of detecting in Massachusetts, and I know you do a lot of beach hunting. Do you do a lot of land hunting as well? Yes, I actually started that way. Um, I wish I had... Maybe we could do another show. I can tell you exactly, uh, you know, has how it unfolded. Although I did grow up on the beach and started down there, we did mostly uh, land hunting because I was such a young man at the time, I didn't have my way of getting around other than my bicycle. So uh, 1972, I was 12. Uh, so for the first four or five years of my life, I had that thing strapped to uh, my sissy bar on the back of my huffy bike and uh, went all over town with it. So yeah, I now, here's a question that I here's a question that I had for you. Right on that same line, Glenn, is do you notice that in Massachusetts, was uh, had the same thing in New Hampshire? People are so interested in the history of our own area that permission is not a problem. Um, I'm I'm running into a little bit of issues lately, uh, especially on public land. Believe it or not, not so much wow. the privates, uh, the public. Uh, for some reason has gotten it into their head that we are, uh, you know, digging holes, uh, leaving our trash behind. And now this is just personal experience in the last, just this last season alone, uh, I've been asked to leave on three or four different public properties uh, that I've never had an issue with ever uh, in over the 40 years I've been hunting. Now, um, I always ask when I'm asked to leave, uh, are they sure it's me that's leaving the holes? And why I say that, and I try to say this with as straight a face as possible, um, and I'm sure you'll understand what I'm talking about, two things come to mind right away. One, it's usually a dog park, and the dogs are digging the holes, and I've never yet seen a dog cover a hole up yet. And right. two, <laughs> uh, squirrels are so prevalent in our area that they make so many holes that I'm afraid that uh, these people are being misguided or judged because, again, I've never seen a squirrel, after him finding his nut, cover his hole up and then go back to his tree. So I, I'm not saying that to be a wise guy. I, I just don't think that they're really thinking the picture through. So I don't know why this past year it's been an issue. Um, I have been hunting the parks a little bit earlier, so maybe I'm a little more visible. Uh, that could be the issue. Uh, I don't know. But private property, no, I'm usually pretty pretty good with the privates. Uh, you know, if you ask nicely and you show them what you got and let them take their pick before you leave, I usually don't have any problems getting permission. That's, that's, oh, that's funny what I was going to say, too. Because... I mean, 90% no, sorry, what I do sorry. is farm fields, you know, hay fields, stuff like that, too. And I've, I've, I've only had one in Massachusetts. Of course, it's northern Massachusetts. To me, it's the north field, green field. Oh yeah, Sadly, that type of area. Very familiar with it. Yeah. I've only had, I've only had one ever tell me no, and I've had great luck. And and I can only say there's only been one that's ever even wanted one of my finds. They're just more curious about what the history of the area is. They seem right. to be more hospitable even than New Hampshire is. Right. Yep. I I, I mean I, I'm right there with you. I know Kenny wanted to say something in there. Yeah. Go ahead, Kenny. Uh, it's it was just referring to the permissions. Um. You know, from my experience, it just takes one guy that not not to hold his ethics strong enough to ruin it for the others. Um, and another thing is when you get TV shows coming on with guys pulling out with an excavator trying to ask for permission, right. that doesn't help either. Right. Uh, right. But, you know, used to, there for a while, I had, what I did was I printed out a, a before and after. I actually dug a hole. 
I took a picture of where I was going to dig a hole, and then I dug it, and I put the plug back, and, you know, I did all the replant the seed thing, and which isn't a bad idea, depending on the property you're hunting. But right. then it got to be more, here comes a guy with a with a bunch of papers. that They don't, they don't like seeing that either. So around here, it's pretty much, hey, you, you know, you, you just be honest with what you're doing. And, right. uh, you know, you'd tell them, hey, I'm a man of my word. I'm going to leave your property like I found it. If not, I won't be back. That's and it. And it's usually not a, not that big of a problem if you're just on the up and up. Right. right. Well, That's you know, you never point. have to remember the truth. You always got to remember the lie. So, yeah, I'm, right. I'm the same way. I always say, you know, listen, if you're if you'd like to even, in fact, join us, uh, a lot of times we'll take an extra uh, metal detector with us. And if you, you are more than welcome to come with us and, and have at it yourself. And if you want to join us, I'll even show you how to use it. You know, so a lot of times, in fact, I just came back from a trip uh, down south, uh, Kentucky uh, and Tennessee area. And uh, that's, in fact, what we did. And you would not believe the permissions that we gained while we were there just by knocking on the door and inviting them to come along with us. Right. It really, really helps. I like to show them, too, what I found in the local area, you know, as far as buttons, buckles, anything like that. That go. kind of sparks an interest, and that's mm-hmm. kind of why I bring a little box around with me every single time. And, but I have noticed that I'm guessing certain areas are more prone to be acceptable to having people come on and, and take a look at what could possibly be on the land. And you also show them the trash because then they're saying, okay, well, you're pulling the lead out of the ground, these pieces of iron. I don't know if it's the same way across the country. Denny, you could probably answer that question, but I know up here in the Northeast, mm-hmm. we have such a long history of time, you know, like you were talking about earlier, Layton, yeah. that our history goes back to the 1600s. Right. I show them the 1600s coins. I show them the King George's. I show them the mass coppers. I show them the War of 1812 buttons, and they say, well, I don't think there's anything here, but you're welcome <laughs> to try it. If you at least show them what's there, I think it right. sparks an interest, and you're going to get that word of mouth to the next person. Oh, well, Farmer John down the road, he's right. got a big 300-acre right. farm, and it seems to work. Right. Yeah, We while we were down south, that's exactly the same scenario that just unfolded with us when we went down. Uh, you know, well, I don't think there's anything on my property, but if you'd like to try it, go ahead. Well, don't you know I found an infantry button right in his front yard. I again, I I offered it to the gentleman. He said, absolutely not. I just want to know what the history was. I was always told they came through here, and this proves it. So, um, you know, he was nice enough to let me keep it, and and he really, really was insistent upon me keeping it. Otherwise, I'd give it to him. It's a button, you know. I just appreciated him letting me go on his property. But, yeah, it was, and then here's the best part about it. As we're leaving that particular day, he says, oh, by the way, i got another 50 acres up the road. <laughs> nice. Don't you yeah, love you it, can't right? Beat that. Yeah, right. so he now has his own metal detector. Uh, he is very uh, uh, avid in swinging. He's a, a retired gentleman, and, uh, and he's offered me back many, many times, anytime I want. So, you know, um, I'm going to take the guy up on it. Well, yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, well, thanks for that, Layton. I just had that question for you, and I appreciate the answer. Hey, All thanks right. for the call, buddy. Good to hear from you. All right. Have a good night, guys. Yes, you, sir, too. you too. You know, another interesting point, too. You had said uh, you originally started out with the aluminum scoop, and I'm yeah. sure you found as you moved closer to the water's edge and into the water 
the need to have a more durable scoop. And sometimes that's part of the being versatile is that, you know, maybe you don't necessarily want to just jump right out there and buy whatever's available. Do your research. Sometimes you're more ahead in the long run to save up the money and yeah. buy the better piece of gear right. than to just grab whatever and then find out, say, a year down the road that, oh, well, it's not, I'm going to have to buy another one now. And right. because much like yourself, I, I don't have the need for a scoop very often, but when I do, I bit the bullet from the beginning and bought a nice stainless steel scoop. And we're talking all stainless steel handle. That's and correct. Steel. Yep, that's that's right. And you all know, right. I also let me I also, let me jump in here real quick. Sorry, Layton. Man, okay. it has been a pleasure meeting you and listening to you, man. I look forward to talking <laughs> to you again in the future. I'm nice. gonna bug My out pleasure. of here, Josh. All right. Great show again. Uh Thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. It's great to have this show back on the air and get out there and dig something, everybody. And, uh, I will catch you later. You can, uh, find me at dirtbandit33 on YouTube. I also have hardcorerelicrecovery.com for all the Amazon shoppers and I'm on Facebook. But that will catch you next week. All right. We'll see you, Kenny. Thanks Feel a lot, later. Kenny. Hey, it was a pleasure, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good night. Definitely a great guy and a return guest himself. Mm -hmm. Great to talk to Kenny anytime. He's always welcome. But okay. anyway, just to reiterate on that scoop, yeah, I, definitely. Listen, when people ask me what they should buy or what what is my suggestion, I always tell them, especially with a metal detector, go. You don't have to buy the lowest brand. I would say I wouldn't say brand. How can I say this? The the cheapest model or whatever. Right. You know, step it up at least maybe a couple notches. Uh, right. Try somewhere in the mid mid range. You don't want to have to rebuy something next season if you start to really enjoy it. I'm not saying go spend two thousand dollars, but you know maybe a few hundred bucks anyway, four or five hundred dollars right. if you can swing it. If not, save your money until you can because I would hate to see you come back to me and say, well, you said, you know, we don't want right. that in this industry. And I think that you'll find, too, with people like that, if they do that, they are uh, better satisfied in the long run. Absolutely. So, you know, this this scoop, uh, I use a Stavar scoop. It's from Russia, uh, one of the better ones I've ever bought. Uh, I have had to repair it a few times, but I will tell you, I beat it to death. Um, I use it. I use my my equipment. I try not to abuse it. I use it in the way it is intended, but just, you know, uh, time and, you know, you're talking 50, sometimes 60 hours a week, uh, of constant prying on the, uh, on the lower cage end of it. Uh, it will take its toll. I don't care how good of a welder it is that, that put it together. That's right. Denny. Hi, Josh. I had one more comment for, uh, us Ohio boys or anybody in the snowy area, uh, if you want to go hunting someplace, find a nice hill that's facing the south where the sun hits it and it's got a lot of leaves on it. And I just about bet you can go metal detecting and that's find That's a good something. point. Yeah, I've hunted many hills and I always pick the south side just like a Civil War camp. I would pick the south side where to put my hut at or my tent. I'd pick the south side so I got the most sun through all the data that I could get. 
So, but when I go metal detecting in the woods, I always look for the south side. Right. And uh, and before most of the trees were there, it was probably a sledding area. I hunted a place and must have taken 300 Wheaties out of one area, just where they went down the hill at. But it was all trees now. Right. So, all right. Good place. Good. There's got to be a hill over there in St. Mary's someplace. Oh, there is. <laughs> all right. You guys take care now. You Bye. too. Thanks, Thanks for the program. call. Yep. Next time. Yep, bye now. Bye. Now, before we go, though, I got to hear this monkey tree story. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping I got away with that. <laughs> uh, well, quickly, um, this this is it's not a very big story, but uh, it's a it's a funny one. I was told by a local historian in another town uh, close to here, within an hour's ride. Uh, he says to me one day as we're going from uh, metal detecting spot to metal detecting spot, uh, we had done the back bay area, and so he jumps in my truck, and we're going to try to locate this sterling ring that this elderly woman had thrown out her back door uh, when she had gotten mad uh, at her daughter for something she had done. So on the ride to this woman's house, he says to me, as we're driving, he says, you see that tree right there we just went by? I said, yeah, why? He says, turn around. I want to show you something. I said, okay. So I turn around. I park across the street. He says, you see the big hollow piece up in the front on the top of that tree? And this tree is about 300 years old. I said, oh, yeah. Wow. He, he says to me, he says, that there is the monkey tree. I said, what do you mean the monkey tree? What the heck does that mean? He goes, well... The, uh, the legend has it that a, uh, a local captain had stored all his uh, uh, booty in the back yard in his um, uh, shed, I guess, and he had a pet monkey that he used to bring to sea with him. Well, when he came back, the monkey used to like the jewels and evidently got into the jewels with the bag, ran up the tree, and dropped it down the middle of the tree. So, oh, wow. okay. You're probably thinking, and I'm sure everyone else is thinking about this uh, as we're talking about it, or as I'm mentioning a story, why didn't they cut down the tree? Well, that was my first question, too. Um, and till this date, uh, the tree is still standing. Is there jewels in it? I don't know. Um, I haven't had a chance to go over to it and swing my detector near it. Uh, jewels aren't going to obviously uh, get uh, picked up by a metal detector, but uh, who knows what else is with them, right? That's right. If he was grabbing jewels, maybe he grabbed rings Gold or coin chains or something. Or, yeah, right. Knows. But yeah, that's the story. It's a monkey tree, and of course, he tells it much better. But uh, uh, it's his story, not mine. So, um, but that's what I remember of it. It's the monkey tree. Wow. Yeah, the Indian cave that Steve Zulik was uh, earlier mentioning uh, was a great place. Same guy. Uh, uh, his name is Bob. He's a local historian up there in that, that town I was just talking to you about. And right. he was asked by the local uh, historical society to try to locate or relocate this Indian cave. And after about, uh, well, they knew about it. it. It just had been forgotten for so many years, a good hundred years. It had been written about prior to. Um, it was on a piece of property that he actually maintained. Oh. For, an elder, for an elderly lady. And he had looked for it for about three or four months. The problem was when he was looking for it. He was looking for it during the summer. Well, you know as well as I do, here in New England, we have what we call 
bull briars. Bull briars right, the are nasty. Probably yeah, hit it. it. It's terrible. Yes. So don't you know? After three months, he actually had some coordinates, uh, but they were really like kind of like paces. Uh, somebody had written in a book. It was like sixty paces off the northeast corner of the property, and you know things have gotten changed over the years. And then they said, you know, go in a direction of so many paces and all this other. It was almost like a treasure map. Right. And uh, he never did find it uh, until about the third month. You know, for three months, he had been eating his lunch on top of it. Wow. Yeah, he had been sitting on what they call now uh, Devil's Footprint Rock. I actually have one of the last. This is a sad story, actually. It's fun because he relocated it and was able to uh, document. I actually was the guy that took the uh, documentation pictures uh, for the local historical uh, uh, historical place. Oh, and, very uh, cool! Yeah, so they used a lot of my pictures, and it's it's up there right now. And anybody who wants to go and see them, they're more than welcome to. It's uh, it's quite a place. Steve and I got the chance to go inside the cave. Uh, there had been we didn't find any. Um, had we did fi find any arrowheads or anything like that, we would have certainly turned them over. But prior to us getting there, they did have some archaeologists back in the '60s. Uh, or, or, or 30s or something like that. It was quite a long time ago. It was almost 100 years that they um, uh, had put into the, uh, uh, you know, into the museum. And, uh, but we weren't lucky enough to find any. But anyway, my point is, is that he did find it. He had been sitting on top of this cave for three months eating his lunch every single day. And when he finally dropped something, it kind of clinked down into this little hole and he heard it go, skaploosh. So he knew there was water there, and that's where it was, right there. He had been sitting on top of it the whole time for three months, sitting on top of an Indian cave that he never even knew about. So when we went down inside, we could see where they had used it. It had a natural opening for uh, – you could see all the smoke and the soot where they were um, right. cooking. Uh, they had a stretching board down there. Now, when I say board, it was actually a stone, a stretching stone. There was a um, – uh, a pottery area. You can see some shards here and there uh, that were really, really tiny, small ones. Uh, what else was in there? The, you can see where they were sharpening knives and making flint stones. Uh, it was, it was. You can see where they actually had a bed, and then on the outside of the, the this rock formation, which is about, I'd say, a hundred square feet around. It uh, actually had two bed areas and a lookout area where they, you could see they positioned the stone so they could hide behind it for ambushing. Wow. It was pretty cool. I have a lot of the pictures if you want. I'll put them up on my, my Facebook. If anybody wants to go there, they can just check it out. Yeah, uh, definitely. Get, I mean, is, it sounds like it was an inter beautiful. interesting experience for sure. Now, this is the, this is the sad part about it. Uh, since then, uh, this is about uh, two years ago when we were uh, – uh, able to get in there and, and kind of look around. Um, about a year ago, uh, some developers have come in, and oh. I know when I say, when I say, yeah, exactly. So when I say developers, you know where I'm going with this. Yeah. Uh, they they actually um, really disturbed the whole area, and uh, it's no longer in existence. So some of the stones are still there. It's not a cave any longer. Uh, it is now just pretty much flat. I have the only existing pictures uh, that are. Uh, in existence of the uh, in and out, in and out and inside of this cave, I got some video of it, and I have the last known existing picture of the devil's footprint that was actually chiseled into the stone. 
Well, that's very cool that yeah. at least you still have the photo documentation. Yes, yes. and we have since uh, brought this to the town, and uh, I guess they're doing some type of, uh, I don't know if they're looking into it or what, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of natives that are in the area that have really, uh, in a way, have told us there's really not much you can do. Once it's destroyed, it's destroyed, but, you know, is there penalties? I really don't know. I never got into that, uh, and it's been a good year or so since I've actually got into that. I'm not, although I like history, and I really am saddened by what happened to this, I'm not uh, into uh, native artifacts like a lot of other guys are. Right. Um, yes, I like finding points and stuff like that, but it's not my criteria. It's not something I'm really into. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? And I think, you know, one of the things, one of the great things about the hobby is not only are we collecting finds, we're collecting these experiences like that as well as helping to document the past. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we do that all the time. You know, a lot of us do it without even realizing it, uh, just by saving our finds and putting them in, sh in display cases. And, That's right. Uh, uh, you know, you're, you're documenting uh, when it was found. You remember, I, I can tell you, uh, even stuff that I've had for 40 years, I can tell you where I found it and probably the month I found it and where I, and, and how deep it was. It's sick. Right. You know, it's just one of these things that you just learn to, um, uh, you learn to do over time. And and that's that's part of the fun. Yeah, and that's that's one of the uh, the odd bits about the hobby, I guess you could say. Some of us may not even be able to tell you what we did, say, two weeks ago. Right. But when it concerns a find, it could be a find from such as you said forty years ago. Right. And we can say, oh yeah, I found this at such and such place with this machine. It was about this deep, and probably yeah. even walk out there and be within ten feet of where you found it. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at uh, some of my rings that uh, uh, I had found. In fact, I have one from 1972, and it was an antique then. It's only a little tiny brass ring. It's got a little tiny red stone in it, and it's got some, like, almost like uh, rays coming off or around the stone, and it's got two naked women on the side of it. I don't know what it stands for, uh, but it's very old. Uh, but I was just looking at it the other day, and I can remember finding it uh, probably my first year in, in metal detecting, 1972. I've had it for all these years. A lot of people ask me if I sell my stuff. No, I don't sell. Uh, I enjoy bringing it to places and being asked about it. That's the fun I get. Right. I, I, Sometimes I have a lot it's of... better to keep it just to yeah. uh, show it off to people, not, right. not showing it off in the sense of gloating, per se. Right. Right. But just to display what can be found. Well, you know, it's almost like a, um, how can I explain it? This is this is how, how I get rewarded. Uh, it's almost like if you go into a shop and you see a whole bunch of Hummels on the shelf. And you take one Hummel and you bring it home. It doesn't have or perceive the same existence by being by itself. So that's right. why I never sell anything. Because if they, you take that Hummel and you bring it back to the shop and you put it back on that glass, now it becomes this whole array of beautiful Hummels that everybody enjoys. Right, it's a piece of the larger pie. It's a picture. piece of the larger pie, exactly. And that's what I try to explain to people. It's the same thing with a, a ring. You know, if I, if I was to sell one ring, um, then my, my, my whole collection is not a collection any longer. It's just a, it's just one piece of it. It's, it, and they're not worth much. I mean, realistically, what are they? You know? Five bucks, you know, right. they're sterling. They're 
two dollars, a dollar. It's the finding that's important. That's what really gets me going. How did that get lost? Who was it that lost it? How did they lose? I mean, especially how they lost it is really uh, interesting to me. Oh yeah, absolutely. The whole uh, backstory to the phone. Yeah. Yeah, what does it signify? I mean, you know, like I told you about this ring that's made of brass. It's a piece of junk. It's probably worth 20 cents. But it's got two naked ladies on the side of it. Not that that doesn't make it cool, because I thought that was actually a cool thing to find when I was 12 years old. Right. You know, um, and it's got this little tiny red stone on the top of it. But what was the signification of it? Who, did someone give it to someone as a, a gift, or was it a present to, you know, to commemorate uh, 16 years old? Or who knows? Uh, who knows? You you could put any story you wanted with it. It's pretty cool. Right. The possibilities are limitless. Right. Exactly. Well, then. It's certainly been great sitting down and talking with you. We've, My pleasure. Uh, we've, we've certainly covered some interesting topics, and there were some other ones I would have liked to have gotten into. And the way it sounds, there were even some on your end as well. Uh, we'll have to have you back again sometime. You're certainly more than welcome back anytime. Thanks a lot, Josh. I appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Uh, before you go, anything you'd like to plug, a YouTube channel, anything like that? Yeah, they can look me up. Uh, just look it up under Leighton Harrington. It's, uh, and I also have uh, you know the Witter channel there. So, uh, you know, yeah, go in there, check out the YouTubes, and uh, I've got a lot of do's and don'ts, and, uh, you know, I've got a lot of actual digs. Uh, they're, they're not uh, staged. I'm sure you'll see that, uh, you know, it's not something that, uh, looks fictitious, let's put it that way. I always try to do the real deal. Right, right. You can check out my page, uh, my, my web page there. And, and if not, you can also go to uh, uh, Facebook, look me up there. i got a lot of pictures. If you enjoy looking at some of the older finds that I've gotten over the years, more than welcome to browse through them. Absolutely, and you've done very well for yourself, Thanks. too. Thank uh, you. Hang in there with me for a minute, Leighton, and we'll get out of here. Uh, for everybody that's tuned in, we appreciate you dropping in to hear the chat tonight. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, by all means, like, rate the channel, throw me a comment. Hey, you want to be a guest on the show sometime or a topic you'd like to hear covered, drop me a line. I'm not hard to deal with. It's pretty painless, and we'll see what we can do. For everyone else, myself, Leighton Harrington, thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week, folks. We'll see ya.